Are you looking for a holiday? Tired of the same old destinations and package deals? Want something unique? Why not come to Desolation? If you're a fan of trudging through endless featureless sand dunes in scorching heat, you can do that here. We're even blessed with three suns, which caters for all you sunbathing enthusiasts too. Our complimentary floating beach towels only add to your experience. You'll find them draped liberally over the remains of previous tourists pretty much wherever you look. If you're looking for a healthy break, Desolation is the place for you too. Our unique detox package provides no food supply and every single body of water is infested with flesh-eating microbes. The clothes will literally drop off you in seconds. And that's a guarantee. If an adventure break is what you're after, we have abandoned scientific structures chock full of heavily armed robots for you to dodge as they shoot a few degrees either side of you at all times. Alright, so it's a bit grim. There's still sun, sand and sea though. Flesh-eating microbe-infested sea. But on the bright side, you'll barely have time to register the pain before the sweet nothingness of whichever afterlife you're off to. So come to desolation. It's marginally less horrible than it sounds. Terms and conditions apply. The Desolation Tourist Board cannot accept responsibility if a robot actually does shoot you. All travel, accommodation and catering arrangements are your own responsibility. Hello everyone and welcome to the Oodcast once again. It is week two of a brand new season of Doctor Who and we are as excited as Pi. Pi, is Pi exciting? Uh, do, do you mean the number or do you mean the comestible? Both of them are lovely, I think. I really like Snickers pie. That's where you take chocolate and peanut butter and you make that into a pie. Oh, I should just say that there's only two of us this week because we're both ill and so yes. therefore can't leave the house. And we have all the recording equipment. Ha <laughs> <laughs> take that other roots. Yeah. So no, it's... Um, but it's also that we just don't want them to get all the things that are clogging us up right now. And apologies for those of you listening through very high fidelity headsets, as you'll probably be able to hear everything that's sliding around my eustachian tubes. You lucky people. That is lucky. Uh, so it is just Laura and I using our secondary recording equipment as well, like that bit in when Tom Baker found the secondary control room. We're using all of the old microphones and stuff. So if our audio quality isn't quite up to what it normally is, that's why. I just want to apologise for these things. Yes, yes. It's important that we, you know, demonstrate that we've got standards. It's nice to see the old girl again. That's what I'm calling this microphone. I like her fluffy head. Thanks. So, yeah, this episode, whoa, it went to some dark places, didn't it? Yeah, it was a pretty crazy at times how dark it got. I mean, episode doesn't sound like he had much of a childhood. 
Epso? Epso! Goodness me, where is that child? Epsomaniac Gandalf Pomegranate Fire Eater! You come here this instant, you hear me? Hello, Mother. I was just fishing for tomworms down by the old canal. Look, I've got a whole jam jar full of them. Well, that's good, my boy, but I need you to do something for me. What is it, Mother? I want you to close your eyes and wish upon the brightest star you know. Must I, Mother? Yes, you must, my darling son. Why do you fret so? It's just the last time you asked me to close my eyes and make a wish on the brightest star I know. You kick me square in the balls. Is that what you wished for then, my precious love? A kick square in the balls? No, Mother. It most certainly was not. I'd give anything not to get a shot in the nuts again. Well, I'm sure it was all a big misunderstanding. I'd never do something like that on purpose. I'm your mother and I love you. Okay then, I trust you. I'll close my eyes. Do you have them closed? I do. No peeking now. What did you wish for? I can't tell you. It won't come true. All right then, I'll just have to guess. Oh, my balls! Did I guess right, sweetness? No, I wish for half a twist of sugar beetles and a length of twine for fishing. And all I got was your foot delivered forcibly into my chaps. Says you right, darling. After all, what do I always tell you? You tell me, don't trust anyone. Precisely. That's the only thing I've learned in this life. And I'll keep on kicking until you've learned it too. I did a little sick in my mouth. Oh, you poor boy. Here, let me help you up. Thanks, Mum. hi Crikey! You just judo threw me through a window. You shouldn't trust anyone, Epso. Even me, your doting mum. I keep telling you. What's that in your jacket pocket there? That's a picture I drew for you of a lovely doggle. Can I see it? Mm, I'm not sure. Come on, little man. What am I going to do with a picture? It doesn't even have balls. I suppose so. Here you are. I I wrote a message to you at the bottom. Oh no, you immediately burnt it. That took me all afternoon. Look, Epso, I don't know how else I can say this. There must be some way to make you understand. You can't be this dense. I know. Give me that ten crin note you've been saving for your holiday. But that's all the money I have in this world. I know, son. I'll look after it. I just think this demonstration will make you see what I mean once and for all. All right, here you go. I've been saving that money up all year. Now what? Now nothing. I'm keeping it. Oh, bother. You can't trust me. You can't trust anyone. Now, sit down and eat your apple pie. Why does my apple pie have razors in it? Because you can't trust me to not put razor blades in your food. I don't understand. Fine, I'm sorry, I give up. I can't keep being this cruel to you. No mother should have to go through this. My soft heart can't stand it. I love you too much. Thanks, Mum. I love you too. And to make up for all this, I've made you a treehouse. A treehouse? Terrific! Yes, come this way. All you need to do is climb as high as you can into that tree... Keep climbing and never stop. And then when you get to the very top, you'll find...
I just don't want to think about it too much, basically. I mean, effectively, it's taking two refugees fighting off in a sort of battle royale style slash great race slash hunger games type thing in a world that is completely hostile in, in a world in a world that is so completely hostile but i think it's not the monsters or the atmosphere or anything like that that is frightening about the planet it's the concept that people could be so desperate that like thousands of participants can enter willingly into a, a race where they're most likely going to die or be horribly maimed or injured just for the chance to save their families that's quite a dark concept well not even their families sometimes it was sometimes it was just for the cash oh yeah <laughs> which does lead to some interesting questions doesn't it about whether or not it was actually a good idea for them to cross the finish line together Gather round, everyone. I'm really happy you've all come to celebrate my win with me. It was tortuous at times, but I kept you all in my heart, and you made me strong enough to finish. Hooray for Auntie Angstrom! She beat everyone else and saved us! We're proud of you, girl. So many others gave up, fell by the wayside, but you, you came out on top. Joint top. What did you say, my little chubby-cheeked adventurer? Chubby? I remember that, Granny. I came joint top with Epso. The one who built a planetoid out of diamond with a champagne sea. That doesn't sound very nice to swim in. You get all sticky like that time I spilled grape juice on your bed, Auntie. Yes, you did, and yes, you would. I don't think swimming in it is really the point, Tess. It's just to, well, show off a bit. That's weird. Grown-ups are strange. That's a bit of a generalisation, little Tess. Some of us are. Especially Epso. Look, let's not get distracted talking about him and his diamond planetoid. Oh, with the stupid champagne sea. And the wiped lean latex robot friend, posse. And the Althusian cigar dispensers built into the arms of every sofa. Such a fire hazard. Yes, I know. He's blown all his winnings on completely pointless junk. I know. What do you mean, his winnings? I thought you won. Joint one. Joint one with Epso. Enough crin to live comfortably with your entire clan. Hmm. Uh, yep. See, the, the, the thing is, I didn't win enough crin to save the whole clan. I split the prize with Epso. I've got, well, a half. Only half? Yes, enough to save <laughs> half my family. So that brings me quite organically to why I called you here and why we're missing Auntie Jai, Grandpa Doolan and my twin brother Berglin. I did wonder why they hadn't showed up. They aren't here. They're on Geransa. The planet of libraries and organic food festivals. That's the one. Look, I'm really sorry, but I'm afraid you all just didn't quite make the cut. What? Granny Keach, you're always talking about my sturdy thighs and only giving me half my rations. I know you eat the rest yourself. It's for your own good. Yeah. Uncle Bobat, you know way too much about wipe-clean robot friends. Plus, you got drunk at my wedding and tried to kiss my wife. It was an honest mistake. And you, Tiny Tess. Yes, my favourite auntie. Cut that out. Sorry. 
I mean, sorry. I don't know what to say. I just... I just don't like kids. So, yeah, no hard feelings. I've arranged for a cake to be bought to the hideout by the Toothface Baking Company. Probably should have checked their reviews before I booked them. And that is my treat to you. I'm... Well, I'm a holographic projection right now, so if we're done here, I'll just wish you all the best and hope you enjoy the cake. It's red velvet. I hate you, Auntie Angstrom. Yeah. That's why you're here. Oof. Awkward. Okay, bye! Well, good riddance, fatso. Time to head back to the tunnels then, Bobat. I told you not to be such an idiot at the wedding. But there was a free bar. I thought if there was a free you bar, then I should... What? No, oh, you always do this. Look, I'm a man. I've got my own... There were quite a few times when the doctor really gave people sass, like talking about the nose hairs of the projection. Um, Why do you care? You don't care about anything to Epso. And like, take one of your heroic naps and we'll wake you when we leave, if you're lucky. Like, she really doesn't suffer fools or cruel people kindly. Well, the doctor never has. I suppose it's, it just, it seems quite biting coming out of Jodie Whittaker's mouth, especially given that she's so kind to the people who she sense needs it, especially that pep talk that she gives Ryan when he's standing at the bottom of the ladder, which is of course true, but you could see how it would be very easy for people to get annoyed at him, but he seems to be getting quite a lot of help and support for, from people when he falls over, when he takes a long time to do stuff, which is great. I mean, I don't know if they've ever really had a companion with the equivalent of uh, um, that kind of disability before. Well, I mean, a lot of the companions in the 60s and 70s tended to fall over and twist their ankles almost on a weekly basis. <laughs> um, what's interesting to me is the ways that the character of the Doctor has remained the same. So the things that you talked about, her incredible intelligence, the fact she doesn't suffer fools gladly. We have her delight in new things, her complete mastery of electronics and stuff that's all it's very much the doctor still but there are things about this incarnation which are just her the solely sort of new qualities there's this line she says uh when she's facing off against the guy in the tent who's called illen i think yeah villain without the v illen um where oh, she's nice where she says uh these guys are being really good about the fact that I nearly killed them. And it's just, I've never really seen the Doctor apologise, especially when she's mid-flow, when she's showing off to the to the villain. Uh, so I just, yeah, it's really interesting. I do think what underpins this Doctor is that she wants to be part of a team. I mean, she wants to lead the team, but she still wants to be part of it. And she's really interested in what everyone can... Um, bring to the party and she wants to encourage people to be the best they can be oh you're completely right right from the beginning of the episode when she tells Yaz how to stabilize the air the um aircraft <laughs> aircraft spaceship by pulling on the thruster handles and like the instructions that she gives are fairly complicated what was it pull up and to the right don't pull down and to the left or was it and then pull down and to the left Who i don't knows? know it's complicated but, you know yaz got it immediately and that was part of it the only person who she doesn't seem to have that much faith in is herself i thought there were a lot of moments in the episode where she really really experienced a great deal of doubt that 
moment of despair when she gets to the um, place where the TARDIS is supposed to be and it isn't. And she just sort of says, oh, you know, I've really killed everybody. That's it. We won't survive. And she just seems so completely defeated. And I'm not sure I've ever really seen the Doctor get to that level of, that's it, I've blown it, quite so quickly. Yeah, I think she must still be cooking. I don't think... Uh, she hasn't even been in the TARDIS yet. And there's a lot of things in this in the classic series that really, to complete a regeneration, you do need the atmosphere of the TARDIS. There's special facilities within the TARDIS that helps with it. Of course, <laughs> the new series, every time the Doctor regenerates, he or she explodes the TARDIS uh, completely. So maybe it's a bad idea to regenerate within... <laughs> Within the console room, because you basically trash the place every oh, time. Oh, I don't know. I mean, given how gorgeous it looks now, because, like, let's go there. Let's do it. The new TARDIS. Oh, man. It is so otherworldly. It's like a giant spider made of lava crouching over the central console and then surrounded by this fantastic almost chainmail effect. And then the new gadgets that the Doctor can use to drive it. The spinning glass TARDIS, the custard cream dispenser. Oh, my days. I absolutely thought it was magical. Yeah, people seem to have gone mad for the custard cream dispenser, which I love. Apparently, I was reading... Oh, no, I saw it in a video that that, that was a sort of present from the BBC production designer to Jodie Whittaker, who loves custard creams. So when he was showing her around the console room, he said push that pedal, and it's an actual working custard cream dispenser. Oh, you know, I feel like they could have almost just filmed her face discovering that. No, I mean, her performance was good enough to sell it that this was something incredible for her. I would like a working custard cream dispenser. I'm on it, honey. My... Oh, you are so I'll build smashing. one. You're so I'll, cool. I'll buy a slide, and then I'll just hide at the top of the slide and slowly f- feed biscuits down the <laughs> ramp. That sounds excellent. But I will cover myself in a blanket so it looks mechanical rather than just me on a slide. <laughs> and what will I do? Shall I just lie at the bottom of the slide with my mouth, mouth open? open. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, this is building an image for our viewers that I don't think necessarily all of them will want. Of our home life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be fair, it is quite accurate. Yeah, I guess. Yes. Do you remember that time when we were out for a walk and I decided that I was going to lay on the floor as if I had fallen over when you run ahead a bit. But you had also run ahead and hidden behind a phone box so that you could jump out and surprise me. And I lay on the floor and you hid behind the phone box, giggling to ourselves about how clever we were and how we were going to surprise the other one. Um, And we ended up like that for quite some time because, of course, both of us were hiding from each other. We're weird. Hi, everyone. This was a funny episode for me. Um, Whereas last week I could have talked for ages about how cleverly it was plotted with essentially two different types of episode knitting together and feeling like a hole in just an hour. This week the plot felt quite thin. And if I was so minded, I could sit and pick holes all evening. But I'm not that bothered really about a race with no spectators or holographic tents you could rest physical objects on. I mean, of course, they were conveniently rescued by passing spaceships. How else did anyone else expect that to be resolved? For me, the key wasn't the plot, but the pieces being put in it. 
This felt like the day after moving into a new house when you start arranging furniture and putting boxes of things in the rooms they'll live in. The characters are still being established. And yes, this is all perhaps still a little clunky and obvious. But Ryan and Graham are good to watch and clunky or not, every single one of those lines are landing when they come from the doctor's mouth. These characters are just starting to breathe, getting used to themselves and each other, and discovering how they react to different situations. And that includes the Doctor, and it was so much fun seeing her curiosity winning out over everything else, looking for answers and investigating the bowels of the planet to find them. It was so great to see. As a whole, the episode looked wonderful, and sounded wonderful, so aesthetically this was an incredibly satisfying week. Last week was gritty, this week was spacious and light. Oh, and the TARDIS. I loved that. It was so carefully revealed, I thought, and beautifully designed. The highlight for me was the little clear spinning TARDIS model on the console. I also really enjoyed the reworked theme and the opening credits. It all made me smile, and and that can only ever be a good thing. I think one of the things I love about the programme and about the character is how much the actor bleeds into the performance and into the personality of the new incarnation. So I think there's so much about who Jodie Whittaker seems to be in interviews and in sort of things I've read about her that her doctor is as well. So at a real practical level, she loves custard cream. So now this doctor loves custard cream. So that's a really small example, although... It has impacted on the BBC prop budget, the fact that she's now eating all the custard creams and had to create a dispenser for it. But also just she seems very warm and witty and welcoming. And so her her doctor does. And I just think that's probably one of the secrets of of its success and its longevity as a series is that it it looks for its leading actors uh, best qualities and then weaves those qualities into the fabric of the show. I was talking a bit about the self-doubt that the Doctor has in this episode. And it's quite amusing that the main enemies of this episode are basically floaty scarves of self-doubt, which a lot of people have said remind them of the Dementors in Harry Potter, who J.K. Rowling based on her experiences of depression um, because they highlight the weaknesses that you fear about yourself and they suck the joy and positivity and hope out of every situation. And that's kind of what these self-doubt, floaty bandage, E.T. shawl scarves do. They suck The remnants. Out, yeah, the remnants. They suck out the negative emotion. They feed off negative emotion, which is why, of course, it's so interesting that the Doctor is full of that self-doubt and fear right now and therefore is a prime target for them. Mm, they pick her out, don't they? As the but most powerful, but perhaps they mean most powerful source of those things. Exactly. And you'd expect that from how old she is and how much experience that she's got. Although, of course, the two contestants in the race will also be loaded with that too. Or at least Angstrom would be. Well, they can't beat all those lifetimes that the doctors had, though. And I thought it was particularly interesting that and I only got got this on a second viewing, really, that she realises that they've made a psychic connection with her and they can feast on her doubt and insecurity. So therefore she has to make the companions 
find the links that are going to actually deal with the remnants and kill them off. Teamwork, right? Teamwork. And I didn't understand why she was necessarily doing that the first time around. But then I was like, oh, yeah, they can see into her brain. They'll figure out as soon as she's realized how to beat them. Mm. Yeah, that was really interesting. I do like the setting of this episode. I I love a planet that has just become overrun with things that can kill you so that every corner of the planet has a different project that's sort of gone wrong. And I love the idea that presumably at some point this was just a well-functioning laboratory. Okay, everyone. Thanks for coming to this stand-up water cooler meeting of all the departmental heads. I know you've got a lot on your collective plate at the moment and I appreciate you taking the time. No problem, boss. What's up? Well... A couple of things have come down the line from Stenza Top Brass. Firstly, we're changing the name of the company, and indeed the whole planet, to this. Wow. What is it, boss? Is it a new logo or something? No, it's more of a symbol. Or a warning, I guess. Closest translation we can come up with is Planet-Wide Wasteland of Pointy Death. Or Desolation, if you're feeling a little more generous. I like it. I like the spikes and the jam. I think that's blood. Oh, it's definitely blood. Oh, Gavin's just fainted. Yes, well, let's try to be a bit more glass half full about this. It looks like the Stenza want to pivot our entire product line. Talking of which, Tim, how's your team doing with the ultra-portable bandage project? Oh, I'm afraid they're all dead, boss. Oh, dear. That's going to set the project back. How did they die? The bandages suffocated them. I'm only alive because I had this meeting. Man, that's really going to eat into our Q3 figures. June, say you've got better news for me regarding your department's hug robot programme. Wish I did, sir. But unfortunately, someone made a balls up during the last software patch and now they're all snipers. Snipers? Yes. Instead of hugging, they're all trying to headshot us from across the room. That's horrifying news. How are you even here talking to me? Good question, boss. They're definitely now snipers, but they're also uh, really bad shots. They're so bad, we've even called this version of the OS Project Stormtrooper. (laughs) Just a little joke between me and the lads. (laughs) Yes, that is very funny. When life gives you lemons, I guess. Turn them into grenades. Exactly. Do either of you know how Gav's GM food team are doing? They've wiped out all the crops on the planet. Ah. How about the Celestial Stability Think Tank? Apparently we've rolled out of orbit and into some sort of gas cloud. We're not sure how we've even still got an atmosphere. Greeting cards division? Died of paper cuts. Puppy research? We just found a pile of bones in their workspace. How about HR? They're fine. Oh, well. Guess there's nothing left for us to do now but stand here and drink another glass of this delicious filtered water we developed in-house. Wow, that certainly hits the spot. It's a little bit gritty, but I like it. Yes, tiny bit too salty for me. Reminds me of a... What is that flavour? Dissolved flesh? Yeah, that's it, dissolved flesh. Hmm. Sure we'll get used to it. 
And what do we think about the fact that it's the Stenzar that's bankrolling all of this? When we were told, Laura, we were promised at the beginning that these were standalone episodes. I just don't know if they are. I feel like there's too much that's sort of weaving in. And as I said last week, Tim Shaw did get away. You know, they made sure that they showed that he didn't die. So the fact that the Stenzar turn up again in this episode, at least in name, makes me think that maybe... Chibbers is lying to us. What? That's what I think. Chibnall! <laughs> we haven't done that this season yet. Let's do it again. Chibnall! Very good. I don't know. I mean, I don't think the Stens are really that frightening as an antagonist at this point. But Well, you've lost all your milk teeth, so you're that's, fine. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, if they tried to get out some of my lower wisdom teeth then i'd be in for a bit of a problem but um did you notice how the doctor's pacifism only extends so far like there was that fantastic moment where for the first time as a new who viewer i actually saw venusian aikido in action right was that your first time it was no i think i think he's mentioned it before but yes that was a really good example of it Welcome, everybody, to Beginner's Venusian Aikido. I am Blah, and it is my privilege to be helping you take your first steps on this most fulfilling journey. First, we must warm up. We do this simply by entwining our legs. From left to right, place your first, behind the third, second, behind the fourth, and so on, until you are fully stretched. Hold this for 30 seconds. For those of you who've only got the two legs, do some star jumps or something. Now, the key to Aikido is to immobilize an opponent using pressure points and their own movements against them. It will work best with five arms and five legs, but for the most basic humanoids among us, we will also cover the real beginner's moves that only require one or two limbs. After that, we'll cover proper moves as I like to think of them, which use several pressure points at once. Any questions? No? Let's start learning the first move then, shall we? First, take your piece of square paper, any colour you like, and fold in half. Only joking. That's Venusian origami. Don't all laugh at once. amazing then there was that brilliant scene where you know the doctor gives her monologue about brains being better than guns and everybody agrees but later on maybe about five ten minutes later in the action angstrom fully like stabs a creature a remnant with a knife and that's okay it's a remnant that's just a bit of cloth well i mean the remnants seem pretty sentient like, they know things about the Doctor that she doesn't even know about herself yet, like the timeless child. Who is the timeless child? Ooh, is another that, thing that might be. Is that the be. Doctor or is that the Master? Who knows? I, mean, I reckon it's Susan. I always think it's Susan. <laughs> is Susan even a, a time No being? one knows, Loz. No one knows. No is one she knows. adopted or did she escape from the planet? Who 
podcast. No. I... <laughs> can I, this is not about this week's episode, but can I say something I realized about last week's episode? Go on. The woman who fell to earth. It's not the doctor. It's Grace. <gasps> oh, poor Grace. Uh, and actually that brings us round to talking about this really interesting relationship that's being built up between Graham and Ryan how Graham is in many ways modeling the kind of masculinity that we all really want to see. Somebody who is not afraid to talk about the things that have hurt them and that makes them stronger. And Ryan putting up all of these walls and defenses because it's too much for him to deal with and having to be gently talked through, but they're still able to work together and fix the engines. And I also love that the doctor just leaves them to get on with it. Like just we know gives that them a few could. encouraging remarks. Like, yeah, you mm. can do that. Off you go. Um, yeah, and she could do it so easily. Of course. I mean, it's just connecting up a solar engine, but she like trusts them to give it a good go. Um, I just, I really am interested to see where this relationship goes. And I can't wait for the moment when he finally, when Ryan finally does call Graham granddad. I think that would be lovely. Mm, I've got I've got a bad feeling that it's not going to be at a point that's going to be good for Graham that that happens. Oh, I'm not. I don't want them to do anything to Graham. He's such a sweetie. I I'm so impressed by um, Bradley Walsh. I when I he was first announced, there was just a little part of me that was sort of like game show host. I'm not sure, but he's been he's been great. Really great. And he's yeah. nothing like his TV quiz persona in this. He's a real actor. He's really inhabiting the role. I yeah, really love he's, it. He's really sort of tender and mournful, but, you know, still pushing forward. And I love that he keeps um, Audrey Hepburn's glasses on for, the, for most of the episode. But the doctor's pockets were empty, so she... This proves that the doctor lies about everything. She obviously just picked them up at the charity shop and just pretended because she doesn't have any of her own stuff. Yeah. We always suspected that the doctor just lied about most of those historical jokes that she makes, but uh, I think this proves it. I mean, the doctor said that about herself in the past, you know, oh, I lie, the doctor lies. Mm. It's been a main theme of a lot of story arcs, but... These are sort of little casual white lies that don't really seem to have too much of an impact. And actually, yeah, I quite like it. I like a bit of the fallibility and the vulnerability. This is the haiku for the Ghost Monument. Space race survivors abandon win for a draw. Finish reunites. So the, the last thing that I want to talk about is just how amazing this series looks and particularly how amazing this episode looks. None of the CGI seems particularly wonky to me. And I know there's stuff like we don't see out of the viewer screen as they're flying along. It's all sort of pointed inwards. But they had put the whole set on hydraulics so they could really shake it all. And there was something about that first five minutes that's all kind of breathless and and shaky cam and and we sort of meet the doctor mid argument and it feels so sort of dynamic and new i love the way all of that was shot and i love how confident this series is in its visuals i think the spaceships are beautiful i love the way they did the cinematography in is it south africa they were they were filming it yeah yeah so they used that location brilliantly and what a gorgeous location yeah 
And even all the action scenes, they they feel good. They feel really well done. Yeah. I mean, for what essentially are just scraps of cloth, they did manage to make them very, very creepy and snake-like and sort of shroud, shroud-like. It was it was very frightening. And Snakes and ladders. Oh, yeah. You did that, didn't you? Um, I agree. It, and let's also, let's take a moment to express our appreciation of the opening credit sequence. What an amazing piece of work. Just absolutely gorgeous. There's a credit sequence that I could watch again and again. And Just the music. beautiful. I really like the music starts low and then it sort of like goes boom and explodes outwards. Like the bass drops. It's yeah. like dubstep Doctor Who. I absolutely love it. I love the incredible swirling kaleidoscope of visuals and with the fantastic music on top of that. I'm really, really enjoying all of the additional elements that have come to the show this season. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this season's album coming out because um, there's some really beautiful themes coming through, uh, Mm. which I really enjoy. I always listen to Doctor Who music when I'm writing because obviously it's, it's very emotional and also there's no lyrics to put me off. And so I'm really looking forward to this album. I think it'll be a great writing album. I was doing a bit more listening um, this episode and there were some fantastic um, incidental bits of music, just like walking into the tent and having almost a xylophone going over the top. Um, But yeah, I just think they've assembled a really talented creative cast i know that there were some voices before this series started saying oh a lot of the people on the show are only there to tick boxes and diversity and things like that no that's just total rubbish some of the things that we've seen being produced are absolutely world class and i for one am very very excited to see what else this team can do cool so my summary i guess of this episode is that it's it's slight in terms of plot it's basically a breathless race from start to finish but it has some beautiful visuals some great little character moments and it shows this new doctor finding herself and that reunion with the tardis is so wonderful and normally when we see the tardis it's the the companions the friends reactions that are are the thing that the series is interested in but to see the doctor reunited and to see the Doctor delighted. And then the callback to the you've redecorated. I love it. It was just so brilliant. It was gorgeous. I mean, I, I almost felt when she ran towards her that she was going to give it, it a hug. But she didn't. But the way that she rested her hand on the police box sign. And then that little moment, oh, I forgot my key. Sorry. <laughs> and just being let back in. It was like a child coming home, wasn't it? Or a wife, coming oh, yeah. home to a wife. Yeah, it was so lovely. It was very sweet. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for sticking with us for another episode of the Ucast. We're so happy to have you. And we've been overjoyed by all the lovely comments that we've had through social media uh, about our return. It really makes it all worthwhile. So if, if you do want to help us, um, number one, we have a Facebook listeners group called The Commodity, spelt C-O-M-M-O-D-I-T-Y. Just, you know. Did I even spell that right? No. The commodity, anyway. Just think of ouds in community. Come and chat to us there. Uh, There's also our 
Twitter handle, The Oodcast. And if you could give us a review on iTunes, that really helps us jump up the search ratings. There's so many Doctor Who podcasts. We appreciate uh, your time if you could do that for us. Other than that, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. That was the TARDIS. Oh, yeah, I got that. It was good warping, honey. Really? Don't think it sounded like a hurt animal. Oh, oh, oh.